welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with your host, Bill McLaughlin, sponsored by Klausner Home Furnishings. If you're looking for the inside scoop about industry trends and the stories behind the news, you've come to the right place. Let's listen in and find out what Bill and his guest have in store for us today. Now, here's your host, Bill McLaughlin. Welcome to On the Record. My guest this week is Charlie Maloof, CEO of Broad River Retail and a podcast fan. Charlie, before we went on, we were just talking about you have a vision for a podcast. You're a big podcast fan. Uh, I am officially your third podcast. Um, so tell me what your vision is for a podcast. Can I first just say thank you for having me Absolutely. today? Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you, uh, my third ever podcast. And so we do have a vision. And I think there's, I think I love podcasts. I love your podcast. Thank you. On the record, it's in my weekly feed. And, and so um, I love listening to it and um, learn so much. And you've got a lot of great content. Some of the best speakers and minds in the industry. That's and why you're here. Well, I don't know. It's, you lowered the bar here to let me in, but um, but um, I uh, I I have I have a vision for one that we can do from our company that would enroll more people from the front lines, and so I get to like experience so many really cool stories from retail, from front of the house, back of the house operations, and and I really think. Um, like who's telling those stories? And I really want to feature our people. And so we've started to have some conversations about starting our, our Broad River Retail podcast um, from the memory makers at Broad River Retail. Are you going to do it right in the store so people can watch? Well, um, it's entertainment, right? It's still, see, it's experience. See, that, that's why you share these ideas, right? Because you, other people just make them better. I had not thought about that, but uh, um, that would make it better. So we'll, we, maybe we'll do that. I, I thought of it in terms of like Jim McInvale has a case goods plant, right? In the middle of his store. If you're going to do something, let people see, let them be a part of it, let them come in and... Uh, so retail is going interactive and it's um, all about entertainment, right? So uh, maybe there's something to that, Bill. So, all right, before we get into talking about our favorite authors and all that stuff, I listened to you on one of your podcasts. And one of the things that you said is, I was never a fan of retail. I didn't want to be in retail. I don't like to shop. And I'm curious how that informs your sense of your store. Because if you don't like something, I would think that it kind of makes you have some opinions about how to make it better. So how does that that early view of what retail is inform what you do in the store? So we're going to start there, huh, Bill? Yeah. So we didn't prep on these questions at all. So, nope. um, so you just... Yeah, in fairness, yeah. Uh, we, Charlie was expecting me to ask him about his favorite author. He's got books here on the table. <laughs> and we just backed into that because you just happened to say retail. So I'm just, you yeah, know, just curious. So here's the thing. Um, so I read a book a few years ago um, by Angela Duckworth called Grit. And um, I was actually listening to another podcast on the drive up here and uh, 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 talking about that. And it was just replaying some of my, my thoughts about that. Um, so no, I didn't like shopping growing up. However, I don't think that we're, we're fully formed in our what we have a passion for um, as a child. And, and so th those can develop over time, right? You put the, the 10,000 hours in. And so, um, you know, you just work at your craft. And that's what Angela talks about in her book sometimes. You can, you can kind of 
develop a passion um, uh, for something through perseverance, through just working hard at it and developing maybe a skill at it and, and being willing to be kind of gritty. Maybe you don't have an innate talent for it. So um, honestly, you know, um, I'm a student. I've, I've, I've learned about myself that I'm a student of business. I really enjoy business. And and so from that, I, I try to be pretty curious and listen and, and, and learn from many other people who I admire, who are really smart and hear their ideas and thoughts. And so um, I think maybe not having a preconceived bias or notion for, for what it should be or look like and just study it and develop a kind of a point of view uh, uh, based off learning over time is maybe helped inform that so oh I, I can absolutely see that i mean i i also did not intend to end up in retail right i mean my i i'm mean, a historian and um but when you learn about something the more you learn the more you tend to love it yeah um and now you know my wife and i go to stores and she's got to come find me because i'm you know i'm checking out merchandise assortments and i'm checking out displays and you know, the more you know about something, the more you come to love it, right? Yeah. So I was a history major also in college, by the way. And so I love history and, and learning how things came to be. Um, you know what I love about retail is the sport of it. So I did, I really did enjoy sports growing up and I would, I'm a pretty competitive person. Um, I, I, I like to compete. Maybe we'll talk about that yeah. if, if, with, if you want to reference the, uh, that's a segue to uh, Simon Sinek's The, the Infinite Game. But um, uh, I, I do love competition and sports and so I, I really kind of scratched that itch in retail you get a scorecard at the end of every day you know whether or not you won or lost at, at the end of every day every week and so um and then you can kind of uh you can you have halftime hey what do we need to adjust you can at the end of the day you, you can um work on the craft and prepare better for the next day what, what do we need to improve upon or what worked well so i like that aspect of it a lot yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, you and I are both Simon Sinek fans. Anybody who's listened to my videos or read my columns knows that I read him. And the infinite game fascinates me. The idea that, and just so people know, a, a finite game is one that has uh, fixed players, rules that are fixed. And, and by fixed, I don't mean the outcome is predetermined. Right. I mean, there's a, like baseball, right? There's a, it's, it's nine innings. You don't say, well, let's keep going. Um, and there's an end point, an infinite game, the players change, but the game continues. Mm -hmm. The rules change, um, and there, there's no defined endpoint. How does that apply to you? I mean, you, you talk about being competitive, but you're not competitive in the finite sense. When you talk about it, you mean it in the infinite sense. How does that apply to to what you do in your stores? Well, um, in just like the great game of business, right? And 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 that's I'm borrowing a title from another book, um, the great game of business. And so I think that. We and I have to check myself. Sometimes we use the winners and losers, and and in in the game of sport or retail, if you will. But the way I think about that is the game's going to continue to go on. There's it's more of a spirit of abundance versus a spirit of scarcity. Like there's enough for everyone to to win and to survive and exist. And so it's not like I'm trying to kill you or end you or defeat you so that you go away. Um, no, we're going to compete. We're going to make each other better. And the game's going to kind of perpetuate itself and continue on. And so once you kind of realize that, it's you start to look at your competitors from a different lens. Like, wait a second, they're, they're not adversaries. I, I don't have to, like, um, be scared of them or, or want wish 
ill upon them. Like, no, they can do well, and then I'll learn something from it, and and we'll do well, we'll get better. And so it's you know I just have developed this kind of the spirit of abundance versus the spirit of scarcity, and I think that um, competition makes us all better. And uh, and so when you're thinking about the infinite game, it's we're, let's play it the right way. It's how we compete, and um, and let's be ethical. Let's treat each other ethically, and and. Hey, sometimes we're and there's just enough for everyone to um, uh, to go around, right? It's not a zero sum game, I think. Well, isn't that part of the infinite game, right? The goal is to perpetuate the game and keep it going forward. It's there is no end. You've probably dropped the names of four books in five minutes that we've been on it. It's very obvious that you are very intentional, very purposeful about what you do. You you are a student, obviously, of the business. You read a great deal. Tell me a little bit about the concept of purpose and how it applies to your philosophy. So, so where it is today versus where it was a couple of years ago has has completely evolved. Um, we always wanted a purpose statement for our company, so our journey through this whole purpose uh, began through just a desire to want a purpose uh, statement uh, and a why. For our company, we wanted to be more than just a vision and values, or a mission and values, and um, and so I got tipped onto a book called The Story of Purpose by Joey Ryman by my good friend Gary Seals, and uh, Gary was in our industry, and I really liked his purpose statement, and I said, well, how did you? And I noticed that some of my colleagues had mission statements, some had vision statements, some had purpose statements. And, and I was just trying to reverse engineer, what's the difference, right? And uh, Gary said, well, read this book. I, I read this book, and so I read that book by Joey, and um, it kind of just changed my, my mindset towards how to compartmentalize the difference between purpose, vision, mission, and values. And so I can go into that a little bit. If you would, please. Sure. So the way we like to think about it, or the way at least I like to think about it, um, vision is very much uh, like your GPS coordinates. It's your roadmap. It's, it's, or it's your identity, who you want to become in the future, or where you are going. The mission is your what. It's, it's what you do. It's those um, repeated disciplines or at, um actions, it's what you do to achieve your vision. And then your values would be the how, how you act and behave that supports the mission. So value support the mission, mission supports the vision. And those three come from the brain. And the brain controls every decision, right? I would hope so. Okay. So, but what controls the brain? It's the heart. And so the way we like to think about it is the is that purpose is the heart of the matter, and so it's it's what makes us human. It's the it, you can't divorce uh, emotion from a human being, and so when we started to learn about purpose, is why we do what we do, and it's the heart of the matter, and it governs all the other. You have to have all the others. You have to have um, the the vision, the mission, the values. You have to be a master of your craft and a professional at your craft and what you do. But but you need to know why you do. And so then we, when I began that study, we after from from when we launched our purpose statement and and then we part of Joey's books is is part four is you got to activate it. You got to be it, do it, say it. And and so we formed a purpose activation committee uh, comprised of cross departmental uh, people in our company who met weekly to both read, 
we re would read all kinds of books about purpose, and then we would, and so we would educate ourselves, and then we would try to activate it within the organization, within our company, to hold ourselves accountable to not just having a single event where we launched a purpose statement and then we moved on to the next event, but to say, no, we're going to let this thing marinate and really take this crock pot mentality and, and, let, and we're going to hold ourselves accountable to live it, be it, do it, say it every single day. And so part of that is also informing ourselves. So through that study, we, we've read many books on purpose um, and brought in purpose speakers. We held a purpose summit, um, but it, it's gone. For, and what I was trying, what I really started in my, this journey to understand was, well, hey, I was really, I was actually fearful of, well, we've got this organizational why. I'm not really concerned about um, our, our, people's why like that that's something different and separate and what and, and that fear was unfounded what i came to realize is they can be connected they should you can you can try to um uh, uh work on both at the same time and what i mean by that is people ought to understand the meaning and fulfillment in the work that they do and there's laddering exercises where you can connect it to a human being at the other end of your actions and how that matters to uh whoever's the recipient at the other end of your action and so where you can start to put meaning and fulfillment into what you do and who that impacts and so then it started to come alive for me a whole lot more and for our purpose activation committee and just um, how we were bringing purpose into the workplace and so just really studying it and understanding how to connect it at the individual level to the organizational level and in all those touch points in between I'd like to talk a little bit about specifically the tactics of that because very often when you discuss these kinds of um, broad philosophical concepts it's it's one thing to understand or have a, a philosophy of business yourself but then to be able to execute that at a very tactical level every day in your business and to get your employees to buy in right that's that's the that's where the real gold is right that's where the, the real winning uh, where the real success comes Give me a, an idea of how you tactically bring that into the store. What does that look like in terms of a specific interaction with the employees, a specific program that you've put in place, those kinds of things on a daily basis so that it it really functions? Yeah, I love that question. And um, I'm probably going to give you a few. Please. Um, it's, uh, and, and you mentioned in the store, but also I would say it's also in our corporate office. It's in our, uh, in our distribution center. So it's not just in our stores, it's at every touch point that we have. Um, I'll start, so uh, purpose begins with identity. So if you go to some retail companies, and uh, I'm coming up with these ideas as I'm, uh, as I'm thinking about it. So this is not even what I was going to start to say. But purpose, we like to say purpose begins with identity. And, um, and, and so some retail companies, they say, yeah, let's go to store 6517. And, and we used to call all of our stores the city name, and, and we got away from that. And so one of the things that we did uh, last February is we, we asked all of our general managers, what is your store's nickname? Give us your store's nickname. And they all came up with their own store's nickname, okay? So that, and then what we did back in our marketing department was we went to work and we crafted custom design logos for each store. And, and then we, at a manager's meeting, we had a surprise unveiling for every store's uh, personalized logo 
with their identity and who they are. And that's, that is now like on our sales reports. And yeah, that's what that's who we, that's how they're known as. And they, and they can um, put those logos on shirts, on hats, on their cowbells, on, on, uh, you know, on their graphics or images, on their icons, uh, on their computers. And, and, and so, and just bring it to life. And that's, so that's who they are. So that'd be one example of, of how we would activate it. Another example would be um, caring for our people with purpose. And so we launched a partnership with Corporate Chaplains of America to bring chaplaincy to the workplace. It's permission-based, it's volunteer, it's confidential. I don't need to know about it, I don't know, want to know about it, but it's a way that we can extend care for those who uh, might need a chaplain at a time of need, who's accessible 24-7, 365 through an app, if they have a crisis or an event in their life and they need uh, that service. And so that's another way that we just we have provided that service for our people. Uh, and by the way, everyone calls like employees, like team members or um, employees or FTEs or what have you. And uh, Disney, I think, has this right. They call their employees what? Do you? No, I actually. Cast members. Uh, right. Yes. I so our, our purpose statement is furnishing life's best memories. And we call our people memory makers. And, so, and, and it's furnishing life's best memories not not for me, not for like the leadership team. It's for, you could take the period off and extend that sentence and it could be for others or for other people. So it's outward looking. And so when we think of furnishing life's best memories, we think about furnishing life's best memories first and foremost for our people, for our memory makers, for our guests and our customers who we get the privilege to serve, for our neighbors in our community, even for our vendors and for our partners who we come to interact with. We start to begin to be aware of our organization's um, organizational wake, the ripple effects that we can have um, to impact and influence others in a positive way. And so we just want to be conscious of that. Is that a few examples to help? It is. And and I'd like to have you share one more. We talked about it a little bit as we were kind of setting in and getting ready about um, how you went around and actually had something in the store where people created. And I'll let you um, talk a little bit about how they put that life's creating life's best memories actually into action, into something very tangible. So um, last March, we went on a retail road show, our Orange Crush tour. Uh, and we we took Orange it was Orange Crush three, and we it was our Memory Maker tour, and we took Purpose on the road, and so we we were in every location, corporate office, contact center, distribution center, and uh, even if it's a five a.m. town hall, and in and, and every store, and so some of the things that we had in every location were purposeful spaces. For instance, we had three purposeful spaces in our stores. One would be at the guest counter. How we um, and and so they had to present it back to the traveling team, right? The executive and leadership team and cross-departmental team. And so for the guest counter, we said, um, we want to stop it from just being transaction-based. How do you make it relationship-based? So how do you go from transactional to relational? Another, The next one would be like an example of the break room. That was the second purposeful space. And so how do you transform your break room? Uh, if you think of the kitchen as the heart of the home, how do you make this break room the heart of the, your store, the heartbeat of your store? And then the third one would be take one vignette in your store, just one vignette, and do your own abstract interpretation of furnishing life's best memories. And, um, and so we just had some amazing, amazingly creative interpretations on those three elements of purposeful spaces. But also within that, that tour, we did... Um, purpose breakout sessions. So we really had like it's small groups, you know, um, 
some of the questions and, and stories that we kind of understood about how to ask and to understand people's why and in and, 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 and a level in a more intimate setting. And so we had purpose breakout sessions. Another one we had were purpose service projects where we built welcome home baskets for a nonprofit that we serve and, and, uh, and that would go straight into kids' homes. And so we did that together and uh, in fellowship with, with each other. And so we, we did that 24 times across all of our stores and locations. So um, th- those would be a few examples of taking purpose uh, uh, tactically on the road and, and activating it with, with our people. You're, the name Broad River Retail is purposeful. And um, both the Broad River part, which came first, and then there was a switch, right? It was Broad River Furniture, and then there was a very conscious decision to make it retail. Share with people the origin of the name Broad River. You are a historian. (laughs) (laughs) So um, uh, Broad River, so, um, you know, I was partnered with Jonathan Ishii, Mm -hmm. and uh, we, we had multiple operating company names. It was essentially the same company. Um, and, you know, in 2008, we were um, about to go into another market to take over a store. If you recall what was going on with mass hysteria and the global recession and the meltdowns at that time, you know, folks were saying, don't grow, hold on to everything you got. You know, the world's changing. And um, we crossed over the broad river um, in Columbia, South Carolina, and we liked the connotation, and Jonathan really grasped onto this, of a, a slow and steady stabilizing force of a river that um, it could be our identity. So when we started that third operating company and grew into Columbia, South Carolina, um, we named that operating company Broad River Furniture. Just what happens, the Broad River actually transverses much of our markets throughout the Carolinas and Georgia. And so it became our corporate identity up until uh, about 2017. And if you recall in 2017, of course you recall because you probably were involved with all the articles and about it, there's been a lot of discussion about this this phrase called the retail apocalypse. Yes. And so... Um, what, what was happening is people were calling for the death of stores, and they have been calling for the death of stores for a long time. Now, we understand that, that um, retail is changing and transforming and maybe boring stores. You have to kind of continue to reinvest in your stores and, and whatnot. We were not seeing that slowdown in stores at that time. And, um, and we've got a great partnership with Ashley Furniture, and uh, we've got a blended strategy with, with the corporate uh Ashley Furniture and Ashley Home Stores, and we love that, and and, um, and we love our partnership there. And, and so, but we also, we just weren't seeing like traffic declines, we weren't seeing sales declines. And, um, and so we had an opportunity around that time to put all, pull all of our operating companies into a single uh, entity, in which we really wanted to do, simplify things for a long time. And so um, just like uh, uh, the, the biblical story about uh, David and Goliath, uh, you know, David didn't shy away from Goliath the giant. He ran quickly, yeah. yeah, quickly, swiftly to the fight. And so we said, you know what? You know, again, purpose begins with identity. Um, we're not going to be Broad River Group or Broad River Holdings or Broad River um, whatever. We're going to be Broad River Retail. <laughs> it may not be the most attractive or appealing name, but we're going to. That's our identity. That's who we are. We're a retail company. We're retailers, and um, and so we are going to put that into our name, and we're going to kind of that's our metaphor. We're going to run quickly to the fight. We're going to embrace who we are and the power of stores and think and be and act like a retailer. And the, the cool thing about that is a couple of my colleagues um, have 
have, have been inspired by that and have rebranded their own company's names and put the word retail in it. And so that, 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 I mean, that means a lot to me. I mean, I've, I've borrowed tremendously a, a bunch of ideas from a lot of really smart people throughout my career and uh, who have had the, who've invited me in or mentored me and had the pledge, uh, you know, privilege of, of going to see their operation. And for someone to come and say, hey, we're going to uh, rename, we were inspired by what you guys are doing and we're going to rename our company and put retail into it, that, that, that meant a lot to me. You've actually taken that to another step. When when we were when we were breaking ground, when it came to the groundbreaking in uh, in Raleigh, we talked about the concept of weaponizing the store, which really is embracing the power that the store can give you. The, the, that the store actually has, and I think some sometimes people don't grasp this. You have advantages over e-commerce if you know how to use your store. And the term you used, which I thought was brilliant, is weaponizing this store. Explain to people what that means and how you can utilize the power of the store to give yourself a competitive advantage. I love how you like that phrase. I think, uh, in, in By the, the way, I have borrowed that in every single presentation <laughs> that I give. I use the term weaponizing the store. It's come up in columns. So if anybody wants to know, I've never really given credit to uh, it because I wasn't sure that you wanted credit for that, but here it is now. Charlie was the guy who the first person who I heard use that term, and I just loved it. Well, well thanks, Bill. You know, I think it's because we think of stores as being on the defensive. All we hear about is this retail apocalypse, and stores need to just, we need to close stores, and we people don't want to shop in stores anymore. And uh, maybe in some industries, that's true. In furniture, we just don't believe that that's true. Um, and there's a lot of great retailers in our industry who are having really beautiful stores and concepts and doing some really exciting things. I hope you don't mind me mentioning a few. No, of them. please like do. City Furniture, who I greatly admire. Mathis Brothers in Oklahoma City. Restoration Hardware. They've got beautiful showrooms. I think Ashley's doing a tremendous job with their new showroom formats. Obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a biased opinion on that. So, um, so. Weaponizing the store is just, it's, it's, first of all, it's a mindset, right? We, we have to revert, if we're going to be in retail and we're going to compete, we, well, how, it's a capital intensive, right? To, that's, what, that's why they want to just have you believe that you don't need stores because it's less capital involved. But you know what it is? It's, uh, there's also no competitive moats unless you run a, a subscription service or, or Prime and then you build that competitive moat and, and you have people come in, you know, but, or you have that first mover advantage like, like Amazon has. But, um, but it's, at some point, um, customers, are, are, it is capital intensive. And so that's why not everyone's doing it. And the customer acquisition cost in a pure play is is more expensive, right? And and and, and the, what's comp what's preventing someone from advertising? No, so the advertising cost just keeps going up and up and up. And so we really love. Uh, and then we just believe in the power of people and the power of people to interject themselves to give a great retail experience. And we we don't believe that 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 customers or guests by and large just want to buy from robots or from from like. Like that, they don't want assist assistance in, in a showroom, and uh, from a knowledgeable expert who can really impart wisdom or help them, especially on big ticket purchases. So that's what we see. So, um, so one is just embracing who we are, embracing that there's power in stores. Let's let's stand behind. Let's let's then be willing to invest in our stores, invest in technology and our people, and and learning and development, and um, and. Showroom design and innovations, but then also, what would be other ways that we could take advantage of 
guests in our stores. And so if you listen to your customers and, and, and you understand what where their pain points are and why they might choose, I mean, the best feedback comes, right, from folks who don't buy from you. And so that's going to help us get better. And so, hey, maybe there's a way, There's a, maybe there's another capital intensive way that we don't want to do, but maybe there's a way to um, uh, be more competitive. And maybe that's um, putting inventory in your stores so that you can um, have immediate, take care of that immediate gratification customer. Again, it's not for everyone and it takes the business model to, to a different area, right? From having a centralized distribution center, but maybe we have to find more ways to say yes to our guests. To, to And so that's where we really started with our Ashley Sleep program and our Bed in a Box program and our Chime by Ashley program that's been super successful for us. And a quick shout out to Ashley on that. So um, it's nice to have the tools. It is it's great to have the product and the competitive products and the tools and then to invest in those products. And, and by the way, um, our Tempur-Pedic business only increased after we did that. We just got more proficient at selling sleep and discerning um, you know, who the Tempur-Pedic customer was or the Stearns and Foster customer was or who the Ashley Sleep customer was. And so we just understood there's a lot more opportunity there that we weren't capturing and because we were a little bit fearful to go after that business. So I think it's just putting that mindset to be a, go on the offensive and think of your stores as, a, as an asset and how are you going to use that asset to, to, to kind of grow your business and, and have a strategy to grow. I, I mean, we all need strategies to grow um, because f- competitions all, all think always thinking about how they can grow and grow their business. So we constantly have to be thinking about innovation and innovative ways to, to grow our business and our sales and to arm our sales force to, to be creative and to come up with more ways to say yes to our guests. We hope you're enjoying this edition of On The Record, brought to you by Klausner, the leading solutions provider for the home furnishings industry. If you're in high point for the April market, be sure to stop by the Klausner showroom, your one-stop shopping headquarters for everything furniture. Once again, here's your host, Bill McLaughlin. It's funny, I've watched over the last couple of years the way that boxed beds have really kind of put um, specialty sleep stores and furniture stores on the defensive. And I'm really pleased to see companies like yours embrace that concept, but I, I think it really does give you a competitive advantage. Amazon can deliver in 24 to 48 hours. It doesn't help you if you have guests coming over tonight and you need a bed. If you can go down to your local Ashley Home Store or to your local furniture store, pick up a bed, throw it in the back of the car and take it home, that, that's that's a real competitive advantage. Just more ways to say yes, right? So that's what we, that, so that's the idea of, of weaponizing the store and um, let, let's don't come up with more ways to say no. How about we come up with more ways to say yes so that we can um, try to be more and more competitive every single day and challenge ourselves to, you know, to do it economically, uh, cost effectively, to be smart about it. I, you know, I would never say to be reckless on, on uh, uh, uses of cash, but so I think we can place a lot of small bets and then we can see which of those small bets win and then we can feed the small bets. And, uh, but we have to be willing to be experimental and to test different things out and have different tests going on at any given time. And then there's gonna be some losers and some winners and uh, so it's, we're, we're in this just constant petri dish of A-B testing, right? And trying to figure out and placing a lot of small bets. No, no one small bet uh, alone would, could, could sink you, but if you have enough small bets, you're gonna have some really good winners emerge. I wanna talk about um, kind of turning points because every company over the course of their 
of, of its history has points. I mean, Ron Wanick and Todd Wanick always talk about um, reinvention and those moments of reinvention, right? They talk about the 1982 moment. You've had a couple of moments of reinvention in your involvement at, at Broad River. Um, 2008, 2009 was one of them. 2015, another one. Take me through those those kind of challenges and how when things look a little dark and a little scary, how do you push through? What are some of the things that you that you can employ? Um, I'm trying to figure out where the softball questions are, Bill. <laughs> um, hey, I listen to your other podcasts. Yeah. All right, these these uh, are questions you've answered before. You, in fairness, these are these are not completely out of the blue. Uh, really what's your good, favorite color, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, you're a really good reporter. You go straight for you go straight for it. Um, you know, so for for our company, um, you know. I think people should be proud of their company's heritage and should understand their company's history and heritage. And and so, um, you know, a couple of years, our company existed for a couple of years before I joined. And and I remember the stories that Jonathan and Jackson would tell me about uh, the first couple of years. And, and, th- and there were some struggles in that first year. And then they survived and how they thought about it and how they survived. And then, you know, once Jackson had moved on, then Jonathan and I had our own in, in uh, 2008, 2009. And it was all about, you know, how do we lengthen our runway? <laughs> we got to figure out how do we lengthen our runway. And then 2015 um, happened. And, uh, you know, we had been um, a really proud company. Uh, we, we, you know, thought we were pretty good. We, you know, and um, for, for many years. And, and by some accounts, we were. And, um, but we had... Um, just acquired um, a couple stores in the Western North Carolina market. We had just completed a uh, uh, an ERP transition, um, which we were not adequately prepared for our that we on our side uh, at the time, and uh, we were also um, we did not have the right distribution center structure. We were very spread out. We had a DC that was way too small. So we had just broken ground on a brand new distribution center. And so those first six months were just um, really, really tough and really challenging. And um, the, and we just made a lot of mistakes and self-inflicted gunshot wounds is the phrase that it just is the one that comes to mind. And, and part of that is because it was ourselves. Like we did it to ourselves. It, there's nobody else to blame it. But all of that that happened to us was the best blessing we could have had. But to answer your question, like, you know, um, one, faith. Uh, you know, I'm a big believer in faith and the power of faith. Um, hope is not a strategy, but faith can be. And and so belief, believing that you will get through it. Um, if you're familiar with Jim Collins' book, Good to Great and the Stockdale Paradox, uh-huh. you know, and so you never want to be um, too low or too high. Just accept the reality of the current situation for for it being what it is, but know that you can get through and will get through one day at a time, but you're going to have to dig, pick up your shovel every single day and go to work and, um, and just make forward progress. And, and so through, the, through those tough times, I mean, intentional about putting a smile on my face. How are people going to perceive you know, me or the leader? Are they going to look and see fear or worry? Or are they just going to see confidence and that we're going to get through it? And embracing the reality for what it is, openly communicating that with our team or people and saying, look, if this fight right now that we're going through isn't for you, that's okay. But please exit, you know, stage door left 
because we need only people who believe and know we're going to get through it and are ready for this fight to get through it with us together. And so making sure you have the right people with the right mindset on the bus and then put empowering them to do great work and, and then taking some risk, right? Like, you know, breaking, you know, if you break your bones, then you got to build them back stronger. And so, and then the, there was a creative disruption that came through that period. Like I could give you so many stories of things that like, Hey, it wasn't working. So we weren't bound by our previous success. We just reinvented. There was such a period of reinvention that was so fresh and just um, chance to take. Can you, can you share one of those stories or? Two or ten, or <laughs> oh, I don't know how much time you you have or that you're listening. Well, I also to don't know how much you want to reveal, but yeah. you know, um, um, the, sure. Um, one of the things um, I'll give you a few. Sure, I mean, there, I, I, I can. This was mid 2015. Um, one of the things that we did was um, we had to change our delivery prices. Now, this was when everyone was thinking about free shipping, and you got to go free shipping. And I looked at our delivery costs as a percentage of sale, and uh, it was really low. And around that time, we always thought, well, if we just break even on delivery, oh, we're kind of happy with it, right? It's not a profit center. And, um, and you know, around that time, you know, most folks didn't even pay commission on delivery. And it was just, but what I understood was that at the zero moment of truth in retail, because I had reviewed over the years, 10,000 sales. I mean, literally, I used to review every sale every night. for, And so um, I would understand that, well, sometimes you can give a discount on delivery um, because you're not getting paid commission on it and, and prop up your margin. And, and, and so you can play these games when you're in a negoti- negotiation with a guest and trying to make something work for them. I'm just trying to be real transparent with sure. you. So um, I thought there's a little bit more meat on that bone. And so I, and we, we also had to kind of, there was a catalyst that we had to change our delivery pricing. And so we just took an opportunity to, uh, I modeled out on some spreadsheets some stuff and said, gosh, I think that we can make a lot more on home delivery. And so then that cascaded into, I think there's so much spoils here that we can actually start to pay bonuses to our GMs on it, who, who've been hurting from not enough bonuses in the first six months from the pain that we've been causing. And also we, I think we can pay commission on delivery because there's enough spoils here. And also, I think we can start making money on delivery. And if we just kind of, and, and then also, I think that we can actually, um, we started to understand how um, delivery companies worked and that they were going to make their same margin regardless of what we paid to our third party logistics provider. And so, really, if we just said, oh, we got to have the lowest rate, who was that hurting? The contract carriers. And so we wanted to elevate how much we paid to our, I'm just being really honest with sure. you, how much we paid to, so we wanted to, we wanted to pay more for that service when we were at our worst. So when we were at our worst, we gave everybody a raise, we at, increased more bonuses, we brought in a service provider who charged us more so that we could bring in better um, um, contract carriers and a better level of service because we believed that there was enough spoils to go around, there was abundance there, and that ultimately the guest wanted not the lowest common denominator provider in her home. She wanted someone who was really good, who could really be trusted. And also we understood that's a competitive landscape, right? And so if you're willing to pay more competitively, you're going to get better talent. And so I'm just giving you some of the tip of the spear here. And so all that worked over the last over the next several months, we started making more money on delivery. Um, it became a profit center for us. Our service levels 
dramatically improved our gas, um, and the in the and the service level went up. The the contract carriers were making more. Our people were making more. They had more confidence in the service, and 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 our and so everyone was happy. And your guests got a better experience. Guests got a better experience. So that would be one example. Another example would be we switched from human resources to human capital, and that was again a mindset switch. And so we didn't want to look at it was just, we don't want to look at our people as resources to use up or like a liability on the balance sheet. We wanted to look at our people as assets that we wanted to grow and build up. And so we wanted to hold ourselves accountable to that mindset. And so through that study, we we then switched from human resources to human capital. And then we said, we're going to have career paths for every person in our organization, regardless of the department that they're in. And so where that manifested itself eventually was the acronym that on the sales floor for a sales associate is RSA, Retail Sales Associate. That seems so stale and boring and stasis. Stasis is death. If you're not progressing, it's just you're just dying. And I just didn't understand. This is just me kind of like approaching it and saying, why is the person who, well, who, who why is the person who's only been here nine days or nine hours even, called the same thing as the person who's been here nine years and has been working at their craft, his or her craft, for, for many years and has developed a, an expertise or mastery and a proficiency in it. Well, why do we call them the same thing? Just because you choose one of the most important professions in the world, sales, that we don't even give enough respect to anymore, we're going to just not allow you to grow or advance or be recognized. And so we changed it. And so we created career paths at the sales floor. Is it an example? So home furnishings associate, then you can graduate to home furnishings consultant, then you can graduate to home furnishings professional, and then you can graduate to home furnishings expert. And with those, with that performance and certification advances, your bonuses and your commissions increase. And so we see very low turnover at the uh, professional and expert levels because they've advanced and they grow and and and, uh, and we reward them more handsomely and so we're much more competitive along those lines and so those, those would be a couple things i mean another thing we had was the bold reset it was a just a 100 day challenge and we were just going to reset everything and um but that's probably enough uh, enough examples uh right there mid so uh, i'm i'm curious where the these ideas come from is this something is this like you know an inspiration in the shower? Do you have a team that does this? Um, obviously, you're incredibly well read. You spend a lot of time. It's very clear thinking and studying the business. Where do those ideas come from? We've got a lot of smart people, and um, and I like to surround myself with smart people. And uh, you know, my business partners today, Manny Rodriguez, he's incredibly creative. And really, uh, he's got a lot of great ideas. He's never short on ideas. And Charlie Workman, he's he's just an expert at, at what he does. And then and just down the line, and so just listening to smart people and surrounding my myself with smart people and, and being willing to. And, but um, and then to some extent, like uh, it's, you know, one of our core values is innovation, and it's been one of our core values for several years. And so uh, maybe it comes a little bit from my background and and technology and. Um, and, and web-based businesses and thinking about business differently. But, um, and also just, I think, just alluding to just working at the craft for a really long time and having a lot of time to, there's no overnight successes in life, right? And, and so 
you know, I, I tutelage, I, I tut, you know, I, I learned from some of the best in the business in our industry for many, many years. And we were in performance group with some great retailers and I got to learn from them and study from them and, and hear their ideas. And, uh, and so my previous business partners and, and just being a student of the game of business and then just challenge, challenging myself to read and, and just think. So once I had the chance to kind of come, you know, put some of these ideas into action really quickly. Um, it was, there's, there's years of experience that I had to lean on. Um, and maybe some of those ideas had, you know, been, um, uh, uh nested somewhere along the way that, uh, they were able to manifest itself when, 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 you know, we needed to think through them. And, but, but just cl- another one of our core values is collaboration. And so with humility, with humility, we believe we make better decisions when we make them together. And so, um, you know, you've heard of uh, crowdsourcing and wisdom mm-hmm. of the crowds. And so a lot of times someone starts with one idea and then the other person just builds on it and makes it better. And we just volley it back and forth. And so that's where a lot of our ideas emerge. Or you just throw a vision of something out there and get out of the way and, and watch our people go to work. I mean, one of our most creative people is Heather Greenwood, who's our senior manager of learning and development. And and just some of the stuff that she comes up with is just absolutely premier and excellent and amazing and 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 we've got a lot of smart people and if we can just tell them hey we think we want to do this and and then and then they start to work on it they bring you some ideas you just build them and challenge them and so you know they come from all over you said something there about people coming up with ideas and building on them and it reminded me um, of an exercise you were at the tony robbins domination event Mm -hmm. a few years Mm -hmm. ago do you remember the exercise you start a sentence and you say yes but Mm -hmm. and then you flip it and you say yes and that's such a great exercise wasn't it it, though and just the simple change of phrase from but to and turns it into an additive process and you start building ideas one on top of the other. Is that something that you've ever like consciously done in the store or not in the store, but in the organization? Yeah, but not nearly enough. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I need to add that into, uh, you know, every time I hear that, and, and it's not the first time I've heard it. I think you've even had someone who uh, was at one of the Furniture Today leadership conferences that used that very same example. And uh, it's just a great discipline and practice um, and, and, and gets us thinking, um, outside the box and, and gets us moving away from being quick to dismiss an idea and more to how do we accept it and then just try to make it better. Um, we've done that uh, some, and we've done that in some of our purpose activation committee meetings, uh, but but I don't do that nearly enough, so I'm glad you referenced that. I'm going to try to remind myself to do that more often. It's funny that you said that. As I was saying that, I was thinking, I need to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're both going to come out of here uh, trying and experimenting yes, and, with new things. Yes. And, yes, and if you'd like to call me when you want to you know, have one of those ideas, we'll remind each other. We'll do it back and forth. Yes, and we can share our results and grow both of our organizations. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, let me give you a couple of softballs. Favorite book? Favorite book? But actually, I'm not good on abstract um, um, topics. Um, I mean, you have one right in front of yeah, you. I mean, you yeah. can cheat if you need to. Um, favorite book? Uh, so, a business book, I guess. Or are we gonna? Are we gonna? Um, Could be anything. Who knows? Maybe well, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Maybe it's Doctor Seuss. Which yesterday was his birthday, by the way. Well, happy birthday, Doctor Seuss. Yeah. Um, how about I just reference the book that I'm sure. reading right now? This is I love this book. It's called Everybody Matters by Bob Chapman and Raj Sisodia. So Bob Chapman is the CEO of Barry Way Miller. 
It's a phenomenal company. He, he's he's um, on this movement for truly human leadership. And Raj Sisodia was the co-author of Conscious Capitalism. And that Conscious Capitalism movement has really inspired uh, my, my thinking over the last uh, several years. And so um, we're actually taking our entire company and leadership team through this book. We have this thing called Book Club in our company. And so we try to find um, a book that we... we have cross-departmental meetings and executive team meetings and try to take some learnings from from different books and so this one has um uh it hits on culture purpose visioning and you know 2020 a lot of people talked about you know vision and that sort of thing and so that's um so a re- and, and and as we're going from one campus to two campuses um it's very much uh, on point today because our, our theme for this year is being united Broad River United, and so we want to make sure that we um, are one team, one mission, one way of doing things, um, and so that's really important to us. Favorite band? <laughs> um, Pearl Jam. Okay. Imagine Dragons today. I don't know. Uh, uh, it's not like there's a wrong answer, yeah. right? It's your favorite. can only be your favorite. Pearl Jam uh, back back in college, and uh, um, uh, maybe Imagine Dragons today. They're, they're great. Or, or Mumford & Sons. Ah, Okay. Favorite store to shop that's not a furniture store? Well, um, you know, you already alluded to earlier that I don't like shopping that much. Um, you know, Apple, um, I like, uh, you know, you can always, um, I love to see what they're doing at retail. And um, so uh, actually I go into a lot of uh, kids stores with my boys. And so the Lego store or some Disney store would be where they would drag me off to. And, uh, and so I would enjoy that because I find joy, uh, uh when, when they, um, you know, um, are happy. And, uh, so when we can do fun things together. Favorite trade magazine. Furniture today. All right. Clearly, clearly. And that's where we're going to wrap up. You heard it here first. Charlie's favorite paper furniture today. Favorite podcast on the record with Bill McLaughlin. And which one of them was your favorite? Because you, you've told me, you've listened to a bunch of them. Which one did you like best? And so, he's prepared for this question, I, by the way. I have listened to a bunch of them. And I really love The Science of Selling Sleep um, with Dr. V. Um, that, that was Close to a year ago, I want to say. It was um, May of last year. May of last year. And after our groundbreaking in Forks, North Carolina, I put that one on and I listened to it. And it was so phenomenal. I called Dr. my good friend, Dr. V, who taught me everything I know about selling mattresses. I love that man. He's, he's awesome. He works for Miskelly Furniture. And um, such a great human being. And I called him. I said, I just listened to your podcast. And I loved everything about it. How can I, we, we do more with our companies together? And this is just where we're being open. So we brought him in to our Purpose Summit, Purpose 828, to come speak to our leaders on the science of selling sleep with purpose. And then um, someone else who was, who was another speaker from another uh, Ashley Homestore licensee, Factory Direct in, uh, Enterprises in New York, my good friend Eugene Crinian and Janine Moniz, they actually then connected and had him come speak at their summit. And so that's just this, all these wonderful connections. Uh, that was, a, but you've done some tremendous uh, podcasts and, and uh, I could list a few others, but th- that was probably my favorite. Well, I think as of today, this might, uh, might be a lot of people's favorite. So thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you joining on, on the record. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Charlie.